Hello. We're going to do this all the way from the top. Uh, you know, as we were talking, like, before we went, quote unquote, on air, we were going over backstory stuff. And people know that now. Like, they've watched you on either our show or other outlets. And, like, we've been there and done that. So now that you are a returned citizen, now that you are in Atlanta, now that you are taking stands, doing activism, getting your life in order, doing everything at once, a real superhero, have you encountered, like, a colonized mindset among people as you've been getting back into life? Yes. And, you know, the big thing about society is that it's so complicit in our every move that we don't understand that we're participating in it, whether we choose to or not. We disguise it with, I don't want to make no trouble. Even if they're in disempowering situations where they cannot win, they silently suffer because they don't want no trouble or so pressed. They have a job, they put up with stuff. My re-entry, it's just, it wasn't a one day, one week process. It's an ever processing because everything I knew about life for the past 25 years is gone. You know, you learn in prison how to steady yourself, stay out of trouble. You know the people that you can't mess with. You usually look for the person in the room that you can trust. For your complete humanness, you know what I'm saying? Versus you come out here, there's this whole world of people pelted down with all their personal needs. And then they enter into your life unwittingly bringing their stuff, which is based off some colloquial ide- ideology that they don't even know they follow. Like a lot of my um, white colleagues and friends, they understand that they benefit from a system of whiteness, colonization, colloquial um, learning and pro-social behavior. Whereas if black people don't understand how those very names put them in a certain place on the hierarchy of human life. You know, people don't understand skin is the currency in America. They think it's money, but it's the skin currency. That's your admittance past to certain places. Um, A lot of accomplished people of brown and black skin would like to think that they are not the exception or the token N-word. But it has been my experience and through my studies that they are. And in their struggle to survive and they become successful, it's used against people who are sometimes not capable mentally, physically, and especially socially to climb that ladder. Some people, like, there's a classmate of mine, she did 27 years, I did 25. She came into a whole connected family. She came home to that. And her return experience was completely different than my own. Um, She got to go work. At the TC, which she went to save money, got her a salon. What's the TC? Transitional Center for um, people who have been awarded or people who've done a substantial amount of time have to go to a work release program. That's the Transitional Center, where they slowly induce you into society. That sounds so good, but the experience was close to the Holocaust. Like we would go out, my experience, we would go out to work. And we had to navigate through our ride, through the buses, experience a taste of freedom and come back in and made to get butt naked and squat and cough. Mm-hmm. And then this empowered all over again. And this reoccurred every time you went out to work, came back. And there was no accountability or consciousness of what that rigmarole, that roller coaster was for the people who had to ride it. And you get out here to society, people are telling me I'm 49 years old. I mean, the longevity of a physical work life has shortened for me incredible. No matter what people may perceive, you know, your body can't function extreme work for a long period of time. I don't care who you are. 
Right. And even if you stayed at this job a long time and naked, you've been trying to figure out how to lessen the load on you versus to me coming out here at 49 and you want me to go pack boxes 12 feet high and some of them were so heavy that they fell on me, bruised me. So yeah, that's that colloquial thinking that if you tie yourself up by your bootstraps, you should do better. And people say that not understanding the history of what that means. I think people often use like acceptance of abuse, like that, that entire rationale of like, Hey, if you're tough enough, you can. And everything that's on the tough enough list is stuff that makes someone else more money and makes you less and sends you home tired. There are no challenges to your courage that like treat you like a human. Yeah. The average American don't know that they go to the job and give a hundred percent of their time within the eight to 10 to 12 hours that they work and they'll get 10% for their workings right. while the people who only get a hundred percent of the proceeds of the product that they work and they don't think that that's not colloquial they don't think that that's not slavery and you deal with people who are happy as hell to be at ups like the work is hard manual labor it's very physical the first week i lost like five pounds just moving just moving yeah trying to get stuff off off the conveyor belt into the truck but there's this one kid time out yeah i'm gonna make sure i get my Twelve because that's that list you were talking about. If you're tough enough, you know, the other part of not saying to accept this form of abuse that we as America say that this is what it takes to have the things that you got, then yeah, you, you do that. Some people fail. Some people fail horribly. They lose their lives at heart attacks or they give up. They check out of this reality. You know, we see these homeless people never understanding what it was to get them to that point. But I'll tell you, I remember reading the statistics that, um, and I don't quote me on this, one third of the black male population, not only would they be experienced either incarceration, they would experience homelessness. There's something scary about that. You could sit down and write that in a book and project that this is going to happen to America. And people don't understand that this is based off studying these systems that has been debilitating to people of color, you know? Yeah. And, you know, then we, you know, we buy into this belief system that does not work for us and we judge other black people on it. Right. And then we want to punish them for wanting to get an education so they can have an easier job that they can sustain longer and pay their bills. Yeah. And, and every black person is a very strong, powerful, trained critic of other black people, because in terms of like where you're able to put your that's a socially allowed form of hostility. Well, I think it's. They've been conditioned. Yeah. You know, I remember reading Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And I remember this one part where they said the former slave would beat the other slaves worse than the masters. And, you know, he was highly critical. And that's such nasty things. But I'm an unpacker. Psychology has taught me that to unpack situations. Your foreman guy has a family. And he don't want his wife killed or raped. Or he wants to prevent it as, as much as he can in his disempowered position. So he wants to show a master that he's doing a great job by hurting his brethren. And that's a nasty place to live. They're not thinking about the social and emotional thing that the foreman must go through. And I think we have a lot of foremans today. People who get in positions a little bit better then so they're harsher on their 
brothers and sisters, people who look like them, because they've been conditioned to believe that this is the bad guy instead of this is just that guy like me who wants to have a better life, who wants to be happy. Like, that's not allowed. You know, for me, after 25 years, it is absolutely amazing how people will encourage you to wear your body down and live a life that you don't love living. Yeah. You know, like it's a sin for you to want to be happy to go to work. Yeah. Love your job and love your life. They want you to love the job that you can't work, but tear your body. <laughs> right, down. right, right. They want you to be happy. When you're tired of sale, they got to get grocery and tissue. You can't live with them. But you're working these extremely long hours in this place where you only get 10% of your working. And you were in a situation just... I'm guessing this based on our conversations where you were making less at UPS than you were making in prison. That UPS was a joke for me. <laughs> like, man. The money I made, my paycheck pretty much covered my transportation to and from the job, Ubers to the house, and paying rent. And after that was done, which was $125 a week, after that was done, I had maybe like $60 of what I would assume would be grocery money or food money for the next week. And I'm like, why am I breaking my neck? There's no way I can break even. Right. There's no way I can build from this. I'm starting at 49. And this is, you know, probably a good place for kids fresh out of high school because it's so physical, highly intense. And to add on to that, you got to do it in a timely amount. So it kind of makes it regular. Right. You can't let the parcels get backed up to the where the light's on because the people up top would see that that was going on. So you have to hurry up in this high physical work to stack these things and try to make them match. The boxes don't come out like Legos. The boxes come out like any parcel do. And so there's this time thing you got going on. Now, what I learned about while I was working there is that supervisors could tell them, hold off and let us do this. But that was one of the rules that they made that you don't do that. So forget the human wellness and well-being. You don't, don't call and stop this thing up. Or me being a person, you know, survival is definitely something I kind of got good at. Is that that we had teams. There were enough people where if we went and got together and filled these trucks, we could put out more productive stuff if we were all together. So the one person is forced in the truck to do all this heavy physical lifting, pushing, turning, box falling on you, walls falling on you type of stuff. The walls fall down because they're being rushed to put the stuff up. The boxes are not coming at perfect size. And, you know, I said that to the supervisors because if my truck wasn't receiving parcels or packages at that time, I was instructed to go to another truck. And I was saying to him, if we purposely did this, we could knock these trucks out. It's like, nah, that won't work. I don't like that up front. I said, the people up front who don't have to load the boxes, I'm sure they don't like it. But it would have increased their productivity. But there's that colonized thinking the more the better and really we were just hustling backward in my mind but it was overwhelming for me a lot of physical work feel like I was in quicksand I was the last girl standing in the beginning it was five girls one girl went one day we see how none of the other girls began to just fall off because it was too physical then start seeing the young guys and they come and say my dude I'm gonna leave today. I ain't never coming back. And I could, I could, I had no words of encouragement to stay. It was enough for me to go to work. To tell Shannon to go to work. And you were taking the bus. I was taking a bus, which was an hour and thirty minute drive to my job. Hour and thirty minute drive back. Two buses and a train, but it was a bus from the UPS to the Five Point Station 
Well, there's the bus to the HE homes. Then we had to get on that train. They had to change trains to get on the, another train. Then to get on another bus. It was such a rigorous job. And then the last factor was that it was not safe for me to get off at the quick trip to where I live and try to get a ride home. If Uber wouldn't call me, I wouldn't take me. Things that these little things that people tend to overlook, but these are called little C trauma. And they begin to accumulate. You get enough of them. It causes big T trauma. Meaning now it's an episode that is beginning to affect how you function in the world. And that's all, again, I go back to what you said. The colonizing thinking. Colloquial teaching. I remember Rockefeller had this quote. He wanted to create a nation of workers and not thinkers. And that's the guy who helped get the schooling system into place. I believe that the public schooling system supports this very much. Once you move out of the public schooling system and you start to go in different fields, especially if it's humanistic psychology, so sociology, you start to learn the darkness wrapped around those ideologies that are complicit in our society and people live and die by them, literally. I can remember when I was at the halfway house, they tried to put me in the poultry. I said, ma'am, I'm 48 years old. And I already have arthritis in my knee. If you're going to put me in a freezer until I go home, I'm probably not going to last on that job physically for more than three months. And we're going to push the last two. I said, I don't want to set us up to fail. And she just looked at me. Did she look at you like surprised or look at you like you didn't want it? She like, why? And she said, okay. And I ended up, my first job was at the dog shelter, which is really right up my alley, believe it or not. And um, people as a whole don't know how to articulate this is why so desperate for the financial income. They get in jobs that are debilitating to them. When you were in that UPS, was it a little bit weird? I mean, you've described the work situation to me that they're watching you from above. And it sounded like incredibly weird and dystopian and scary. It is dystopic. And you have to understand that um my first aha moment, I went to the water fountain and I seen the emergency exit. It looked just like the dorm layout in prison. So that was my first like where the parcels would come down, look like beds. And the middle of the design looked like the dorm. It was just like one of their exit things. And unfortunately, somebody who I was friends with told me that, you know, how the buildings are made, you've got this top thing that sends out parcels. And right above that is the observation room where there are a whole room filled of white people looking at cameras waiting for the mass thing or something. And so psychologically, it began to eat at me that this was going on every day, that this was prison. This was prison. They wanted to call you, why you ain't come to work? Or why you not coming to work? Or you need to come in. And then they would say, because this is a good job and you'll get good money. And possibly so, but what shape will your mind and body be with this good money? You know, and no one seemed to think about that. Which is why they have a high turnover rate. But they'll never say that in their advertisement. We will work you hard, as hard as we can, but we will pay you. <laughs> that should be an ad for them. <laughs> um, what stands out to you that people should know about the prison system but don't? Oh, my God. Yes. So with families of incarcerated citizens, and it's been my experience for 25 years, we're trying to practice the tough love. Well, they didn't act right out here. Maybe this will fix them. While on the inside, their loved one is, is experiencing perpetuation of poverty. And so what that creates is a dependency on a system that is not equipped to help them. 
Um, they won't give them no money because either they can't, they won't write them no letter. But you, you know, underwear, bras, state's supposed to issue to them. They're not, because they overload and they keep locking people up. They don't have the money to give them their basic necessity. And when you call your family to ask them about it, uh-uh, you should have thought about what you did there. Or the real good one, I ain't put you in there. Those are very horrible, ugly cop-outs. There is no place to understand what the social condition their loved one is going through. There's a different set of resources inside of prison. There's this dichotomized relationship between the staff and yourself, which is reminiscent of slavery. Because you have no voice. And you can't have problems. And I remember realizing that the police, if you were to do something bad, or the officer, the correctional officers, to be politically correct, would come from out of hell to come push your face in the grass and put your hands behind your back. But if you say, ma'am, I need some help. Could you tell me what I need to do? They might get away from me. This is true. Right. And then you've got your family time. I'm going to give them tough love. They have no clue. What they're going through. They don't have, they have no clue about food. Um, I can never forget. It's supposed to be chicken and rice. That's what's on the menu. But what it usually looks like, two or three big sage leaves in there with some mixed broth. And if you're lucky, you might get a strand of chicken or a square of chicken. Because my aunt will be real big about, they featured their Shannon, don't they? Or when I was a cook in prison, I used to cook macaroni. And the cheese was bright orange. It's because they took out a lot of the ingredients that was needed. And so, maybe start asking what it needed. So I would get milk from the bakery. I get eggs from the bakery. You know, and God forbid, it's a little piece of butter out there. So when it was time to make my macaroni, that's what I did. One day the lady came over and said, oh, you can't feed them that. I said, what did the F you mean? She said, because they'll get used to it. Wow. I said, well, I'm not going to put no water in my food. Right. Because it tastes good. She just rolled her eyes and walked away. So as they were panning up my thing of macaroni, I watched her go get a pitcher of water. Oh, man. Are you for real? And get a pitcher of water. Kept refilling it and filled up each pan to make it more liquid, liquidy. She said that. I remember them saying, I was like, can I get some salt for this? Oh, we don't get a salt out like that. So if you were to get salt and put in the food to cook with it, you didn't get it from the baker or something. Wow. And every time I, they feed you, they made a lot of money selling the sandwiches outside the um, kitchen because people were starving. And even the sandwich sellers would starve if they didn't sell sandwiches. What do, what do people need to know about their own history that they don't know? We're talking um, about, we're talking about, yeah, because we were talking about Juneteenth and all that. And as I was thinking about it, I'm like, well, I don't even know if people know where to start. And that's real. Like, Black people as a whole. Politically, yeah. Politically or otherwise, we don't know our And that was done purposely. So, you know what I'm saying? We don't have a social identity that they haven't enshrouded in shame, making us not like, not only not like ourselves, but not like people who look like us. And we pass these ideologies that were not originally ours onto our children. To our friends, you can't trust them. You don't need to mess with them dog-skinned person. Or, you know, the light-skinned people sneaking. And, you know, in our, I don't know what to say, I read the book that it was called Coloration, that is very fluent and real in the Black community. But it was inducted into the Black community from a source other than Black people to keep them separated. Because together we stand. 
and divided we fall and people don't know that that is perpetually part of our history or historical experience. The moment we fall apart, shit get worse, infinitely worse quick. But we're just pounded down by all these other things that are put into play to keep us from upward mobility. So we're only a few say, no, nah, I'm going to be able to do it. I'm going to keep going. And they are the exception. Or my other favorite term, magic Negro. Mm-hmm. Because they they, we have to have solutions. We grew up in a world where we got to have plethoras of solutions just to survive, not excel, to survive, to exist. When this and this and this don't happen, what do you do? You know, we've lived so many of those experiences that we're good at it. So we can't get fully compensated for the value of it or helping other people make their job easier. You know what I'm saying? But we do it inactively to survive in this country where we are the minority. We are only 13% of the population. Shifting towards 14. Right. Which is scary for the 78% because then it changes the synergy. The amount of people that get together and vote with people who are more kind to their cause and their beliefs and their needs. But yeah, majority rule don't really work for you people of color. It was made for you. Know the difference. You know they say in the game when it's class, raise your hand, raise your hand, majority rules, baby. That was about you. That was about the fact that they kept you 13% since slavery. How much of that do you think translates into now that we're in the modern times and attempting to like be better at, I guess, inner community work? Like, are we getting better within ourselves? I think we definitely have a lot of pioneers, which is great for communities of color. But I think at the root of most of the people, we're still sticking to these beliefs that never served us. Uh, Most of society, especially the working class, black and brown skin, and the invisible white community that they totally ignore because it's embarrassing to them. You know, we gave you the social currency of your skin. You should be able to make it from here, basically. You know, we watch the news and we see a brown skin getting in trouble. We're not thinking enough to say, if we're only 13% and they're 78%, why is some of them in, in the news more than us? It defies logic. Right. There's some percent of the population, but you're always seeing black and brown skin. Maybe. Right. So that's one of those complicit things that we totally and really accept. And then when they profile us, On the TV, we begin to use those adjectives and verbs to define our neighbors, our children. And you're being force-fed by the state apparatus to believe that you are the bad guy. And then we say the other black people are bad guys. So there's a large part of our community that still participate in that ideology that is restrictive to our people. You know, um, I commend and tip my hat off to all black-owned businesses that do not practice those kind of traits but i have personally experienced it since i've been home from people who were in a position of power who were colored and had the opportunity and say that they wanted to give back but yet once you get there they act just like the other people do yeah or they'll act like i know you i'm from the projects i know what you do and i'm like honey you've never met anyone like me yeah it's it's very tough because people try to push you in by like all the time and it's hard for you to have anybody to have the space to fully be themselves because you're socially educated to be of use to other people to such a degree that you've got to dig out room for yourself that's what i'm doing now it's bad for me to tell you that i was voted off the island at birth i was born outside so what's sad for me is i got used to being ridiculed and rejected for being odd you know the funniest thing i found out man 
people like shouldn't be crazy because I wouldn't act like them. I didn't want to play the other reindeer game with reindeers because it didn't benefit me. Right. And I got home after 25 years and 5 million people telling me, like, do you know I used to have a crush on you? Absolutely not. I remember you threw rocks at me, you know? <laughs> I remember you were saying mean things to me. Right. I remember in the rap game, you tried to out-rap me and say, da-da-da-da about my social conditioning. You tell me you had a crush? So, you know, that is mind-blowing to me. Or I used to think you were so cool. And I was like, I instinctively remember you. <laughs> right, right. Brandon, you are one of the people that helped me. For whatever reason, God put you in my life. You understood the core of me instead of these perceptions that people have of me, you know. And I find it to be safe. It's not to share the you, you to everyone. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they're just going to chop it up and put it in a frame that they won't put you in. Yeah. And especially if you disagree. Yeah. Oh, my. People will punish you for not doing what they want you to do. And it's hard for a lot of people to be accountable of that one important fact. We cannot punish people for not being the way we want them to be. Because our job is to disassociate some people that does not cause us health, right? good life. And aren't pushing us towards, I guess, our goal. Yeah. Exactly. And hear people go, for real, they want to hear you say, yeah, I want to be the manager of this McDonald's. Or my supervisor comes to me and said, in the second week, yes, I'm going to put in for you to be a supervisor. Like, that was going to make me go the five weeks of hard life (laughs) that was bigger than me. Right. Juneteenth started in Texas. It was the furthest physically away when the Emancipation Proclamation was, was put out. And the thing that stood out to me as I was learning about Juneteenth, like, when I was younger, is that really Juneteenth is all about rubbing it in. They got out and they went on parades and those black folks in Galveston or wherever it was would dress up as Union soldiers and would go on a parade in the town. Now, you couldn't do it because you're in public area. They just kick your ass. So they had to do these gatherings in private. The number one thing that stands out to me about Juneteenth is when it became a really large major holiday was when those private groups of people who were like celebrating their condition linked up with the institutions that were able to already be linked up to the community. I mean, churches really adopted Juneteenth and bought, they made fundraisers, they bought land. There's like a 10 acre spot in Texas that is like was bought by ministers just for the specific purpose of like Juneteenth City yearly celebration. Yeah, the thing that stands out to me about Juneteenth the most is just that the community really took it on after a few people did it personally. That makes me extremely happy to see things where our community is working together to acknowledge the time where people were set free because that was such a dark place in our our history. You know, the reality, there are records of people still being enslaved in America in the 1940s. <laughs> and, you know, only because of the war we were going through during that time that the federal government started to take this seriously. That's sad that our human lives, and we don't know that our human lives, they need us. Yeah. But that means so much. We are so expendable, and that's so sad to me. And for any of us to have the audacity to demand autonomy, we quickly are deemed the enemy 
of a system that was never designed for the best of me or you or people that look like us. And this is not a talk to rail against the system, but definitely to encourage, let's get together and change these systems that don't work for us. And, you know, the great majority don't even know how better their world would be if we lived in that kind of harmony out of fear of losing that, that little edge over a, set, a class, a set of people that rather us keep going to this precipice, precipice, this the thing where the world is going to end as we know it. And it's by these systems that has worked for them so long that is now no longer working for the world. And they're not going to be accountable for it. I am grateful for the people who are coming out and saying, yes, this is true and we want to help. Because the more of us realizing that these systems are is killing our world, the better we are at survival. But Juneteenth, I'm excited to be with you and your, your mom now on June 19, doing art, making business cards. Like We're doing a whole production, and it's been super good to like have an opportunity because I know but all it's been hectic for everybody. So the ability, like, because all of us are going to be back at hectic life probably on the 20th, it's important to set times for ourselves that we can be happy for how far we've come. I'm glad to be working and doing something on June 19th because my life is hectic every day until I'm fully acclimated to a point where I understand my phone, my computer, my bills, you know, my car. How does this work? And it is, you know, it's sad that the people who have in my past been trying to help were too busy wanting me to do the way they want me to do instead of giving me the components of what is needed to of me from me and show me how to do these things. Now that you're you're here, before we do anything else, can you talk about what your skills are, what you are bringing to companies, businesses, corporate nonprofits? What like talk about your role previously and what you're doing now? Okay, I have a dual associate's degree. There's the internal credits of the Vice Theater studying women in film, American identity, and a lot of social gender issues by the binary that's imposed on the American citizens of who you can identify. They've become a little lax. And hear what I say in allowing some people to express themselves as if they need permission to be who they are. There's the darkness behind that. But there is still, you feel like you need to allow me to be me. And uh, my degree with Life University so far is my associates in positive human development and social change. And what that is, in short, is the study of human behavior and why people do what they do and how these actions affect the world that we live in society. You know, first we learn the personal crisis. And, you know, politically what politicians are known to do is get those people with these individual personal crises to create a public issue. And because people feel so strongly about it and their belief in it is so real that they don't see beyond other than their cause and not who's affected or what dystopic life are you making for others. You know, because they're trying to build their utopia and in their utopia, you really don't have a place in there. Right. And then they get mad with you and you're like, I don't see nowhere for me to go. Then they call you a problem. Yeah. Well, what what's our, because everybody feels that way and someplace in there, if they're a person that has a job, what are things that you've done in order to cope with that or overcome? Like, what, what should a person do when they feel cornered like that? Well, here's the thing. Education and not the colloquial one. Education about self and social issues 
a lot of that comes from lived experience and not being stuck in them, but moving beyond them. But learning about what is autonomy for me. Because innately we want it without the name or the definition, but we want to be a means to our own end. We want to work a job that we love living. We've been conditioned to believe that that's not possible. If you want money, you need to work on real, real hard. But working real hard look different from di- for different communities, different genders, and different um, end time. Work hard means different. You know what I'm saying? And it's not to this to discredit the people who have nice cushiony job, but it's to recognize and realize the people who don't. Right. And who could be possibly capable, but haven't been given the the information, the education, or the social connection to experience that kind of life. So people get real comfortable with if you work hard enough, that means if you can take this amount of pressure or stress or pain, then you'll be successful in life. That's not always the case for people when you say work hard. Everybody ain't living that life. And, you know, the people who don't have to live that life, I believe, should acknowledge that everybody's not living that. They are capable, not because they don't want to. Right. They're not presented the opportunity, may not have the education. They may have checked out or they may have mental disabilities that we refuse to acknowledge. You know, I hear all the time, oh, they don't want work. And I'm like, maybe they don't. Maybe that job is physically too hard for them. Yeah. And you're saying that they don't want to work. I'm watching people with swollen ankles and they're saying to cuss food you eat. It's also that heavy labor that you're doing. I bring this I'm uh, um, to the table when I come and better education, educating people about people, marginalized people and their social disposition in this society, about returning citizens who are trying to reacclimate themselves in this kind of society that is designed to keep them in a place of immobility where you're constantly working these jobs that are physically draining for you and then expected to maintain everything else. And if you don't do it, then you're a bad person. That's all practical. Yeah. That's one dimensional. Right. You know, first thing we need to learn, everybody ain't me. Right. I ain't everybody. Right. Where do I fit in this? Where, and then your children aren't being taught that. Adults are living this life. You get that job. You keep that job. Even if the job is tearing you up. No. You know, find out what you're good at and help me to understand you so I can invest in this thing that you can excel in. That, that's a different outcome than you go to a place that is physically demanding at an early age. And I was like, yeah, that's good. They need to know how to do that. Do they? Yeah. What if they are a thinker, a writer, a scientist, astrophysicist, but because they didn't have the the community, the parents, or the financial gain, they have to miss out on that and go do something that is debilitating to them as they slowly lose their grip on giving us up? Yeah. And lots of people have been pushed into that role. You know, this reminds me of something I read in one of those plethora of books that school had me reading. And it was talking about vilifying women. And they said something about to those who cannot afford to buy protection of the law. That's some heavy stuff. What do you mean protection of the law? Do those things go together? Are you telling me that you know? And they were saying that, you know, just to give you insight on this little caption was that if women did male gender crimes, um, i.e. robbery, aggravated assault, whatever, even if it's in self-defense, they're considered male behavior they don't get the leniency leniency of the law and if you were poor and white and old you were going to go to prison if you were a marginalized community person 
then they meant it. Everything you say or do will and can be used against you. <laughs> and we've gotten comfortable with that. Yeah. Your Miranda rights is telling you everything you say or do will. will. Can and will. Can and will. So you can say we tell you. That's yeah. why some people, if they weren't read their Miranda rights, they get off. That's so sad. We got to play the charity games. You know we're going to get you. We're going to use everything you say and do to form a story against you. Right. To get you to do time. Right. That's what the definition is. Yeah. Not, not used to investigate. Used against you. Yeah. Not like, let's get to the truth. We got quotas. <laughs> about the truth. Yeah. It's about building a story to right. present to a judge jury to send you to prison. Right. That's sad. And that's our society, though. They build a story against you. They say, well, I can't help you because you don't want to work because you didn't go to the job I told you to right. go to. Right, yeah. Not the job for me. I might got some social-emotional issues based on my lived experience that makes me not compatible for that job. I can't say that. I came out this on my friendship or family box. Did y'all judge me on? And that goes right back to the beginning of what you said, that kind of thinking, that colonized thinking, colloquial thinking. That you should do a certain thing a certain way. That makes you pro-social. You're displaying pro-social behavior that doesn't benefit you. My pushback is the contract that we're going into was never meant for me. When they wrote such said contracts of how we should be pro-social, black people weren't even considered human. That was on a catalyst. And it hadn't been upgraded in society and this social thinking of who we are. What do we need in order to like break those cycles? I don't think one man or woman has it. Well, sorry. what's your, well, all right, what's your vision for yourself in five or 10 years? What does it need for, for you individually to get to the mental state that you want to be? Constantly moving forward. I believe in therapy, but my, I feel like we all have a part and I want to play my part. If we're digging at this mountain, I got my pick at, and I want to actively use it as much by informing and educating people, not just people of color. But people want to help people of color because it is sad that we got to separate people. Yeah. That we have to say marginalized people. Yeah. Or people of color or men and women. We have to specify because that tells you how separated in our thinking we've become. That's a very good point. You know, at the end of the day, we're the human animal. And most animals, even viruses, try to promote longevity. But this way of thinking is contrary to promoting the longevity. Of a certain yeah. people that's been separated that don't benefit us. This social contract that ain't talking about me that I would not have ever otherwise known had I not went to prison and went to college and knew that stuff even existed. And I know that only 20% of the American population has a college education. And everybody ain't going into a human behavior and why people do what they do and why these things have happened in society. Most people are going to the cutthroat job. I want to learn how to be a business person. Mm -hmm. Be good in business, I commend them. But the lack of humanness is why we are becoming colder and colder as a nation. The accountability is separating us in our mind, and we still push that agenda. And yeah, a lot of marginalized people or black and brown skin are complicit to that thing because they made it out. Shannon, thank you for being here. This has been like an excellent conversation. We went to a lot of really good places. We're making it. Hey, thank you. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll be back. We'll talk again soon. Or I'm hoping that we hang out a lot. I've got you all on the discord. Yeah. We're going to just be doing a lot and hopefully people will get to hear more from you because you are super cool. One of the coolest people I've met got a lot of cool things to say and just always love hanging out.
And so if you're listening to this, yeah, I don't know which Patreon or things to plug because I don't know who's going to put this out. But thank you for listening and do whatever the show notes say. Bye-bye.